Electric chair. Devil by Possession by Mark Slade The palace of Humbert was clean. Jode turned to Father Gore and smiled. I'm done, Your Holiness. May I eat now? Father Gore held out his hand, and the boy kissed his ring. As you pass by, check in on her ladyship. As you wish, Father, Jode quipped and rose to his feet. It was in the bottom floor of the palace that they kept quarters. Above them were mostly servants, taking care of the near-empty castle. After King Leon died of the plague, it was decided upon by all concern that his rooms be left for some time so that the disease could leave on its own accord. Father Gore was happy to stay at the bottom of the palace, for the abbey and the library were next to each other, as well as a makeshift kitchen. Father Gore turned to face his desk. He picked up the letter from the cardinal. It read that he was sending Father Sill to take over his post, and he was to relocate to Quam. Father Gore was not happy about that. He had kept his post at the palace for five years. He's been instrumental in keeping King Leon's death a secret. He felt the church owed him something, and sending him to a plague-stricken village was not what he counted as gold in his purse. Jode passed by Lady Seraphine's bedroom door. Her ladyship had not been feeling well for the past four months, ever since she had joined Father Gore and Jode in the palace. Jode hadn't understood anything that was going on since her arrival. Why was she not with Lord Florentine? Where was he? The civil war between the land had been over for a year. Barely any mention of Lord Florentine or his troops. Jode stopped at the door. Lady Seraphine, he whispered. He heard rustling. Lady Seraphine? Still no answer. But there was a heavy panting and a muffled cry. Jode touched the doorknob. It was ice cold. He withdrew his hand quickly. Jode took a few steps back. He turned to leave, thought better. Jode flew open the heavy wooden door. Lady Seraphine lay on her canopy bed, writhing about, her back arched up, her skirts around her waist. She was thrusting back and forth. Jode was no fool. He was seventeen, and he had one sexual encounter with an older servant woman, and he knew the position. Lady Seraphine was in the middle of lovemaking, but had no lover upon her. Jode backed away from the door, watched a moment more, then ran down the hallway, calling for Father Gore. The royal surgeon was called in by Father Gore to have a look at her lady Seraphine. At the moment, her ladyship was resting, and Father Gore was not allowed to question her. It is apparent that I speak with her soon, Dr. Hera. Father Gore placed a hand on Hera's shoulder. The small, thin man pulled away gingerly, half-smiled. I'm afraid something terrible is happening to Lady Seraphine, Father. It's not spiritual, I assure you. Hera walked along the long corridor. Father Gore followed. Father Gore looked confused. But, Doctor, my assistant saw her in a state of repos- Hera clucked his tongue and wagged his finger. A boy's eyes in such a lonely, dark place as such, often one can see things that aren't real. You're not a believer, are you, Doctor? Yes, I believe enough. Enough as your soul will not be eternally damned, I see. Let's move on to our ladyship, eh? She has scratches and bite marks. I can see she has been with a man. She has also been beaten, rather savagely. Harris stopped to ponder this. Well, I'm not altogether sure she did not enjoy her time of this event. However, she is very much distraught. 
She does not seem to respond well to conversing with others. Anyone comes near, she flinches. What is troubling, she has more than likely experienced this more than once. It is the first time I have heard of this. I only spoke with her that morning. All was well, though she longed for Lord Florentine. Father Gore stopped Hera, showed him his room. Hmm, no one has heard from him. Another strange event. Hera opened the door. The musty air of the room tickled his nose. He sneezed. Father Gore blessed him. Lady Seraphine lay in her bed, looking at her own reflection in the mirror beside the dresser. She was feeling slightly better than before. She touched her long, flowing, strawberry-blonde hair and wished she could cut it all off. She touched her full lips and wished they were slack and droopy. She wished her green eyes were crossed and her backbone uneven. She wished her supple breasts were small like a twelve-year-old boy's. She wished she could join the sisterhood with all the other unlucky women in society. Lady Seraphine closed her eyes. She'd grown tired. She hadn't even dressed for bed, nor asked for a new pot. She reopened her eyes for a moment. There was movement in the mirror. It was quick, but there was something scattering back and forth through the mirror. She sat up. She looked behind her. Nothing there. Lady Seraphine sighed. She felt a chill run through her body. Her eyes drifted back to the mirror. Her gaze was transfixed. She saw it. It moved slower this time, its milky skin naked to the world, a scaly face with mismatched features. It was staring at her with small red eyes and sneering, showing all of its tiny sharpened teeth grinding together. Lady Seraphine tried to rise from the bed, but something was weighing her down. She panicked. A scream became a murmur in the back of her throat. There it was, the thing from the mirror, sitting on top of Lady Seraphine's abdomen, swishing its prickly tail back and forth. A purr and a growl intertwined in a high-pitched voice. It lowered its arm and took hold of her by her long, swan neck, its nails scraping at the clean white skin. Hera had been passing by. He heard the rustling in Seraphine's room, the grunting, the panting, the growling. The door to her room flew open. Hera was shocked. The creature had hold of Seraphine, its claws deep in her breasts. It turned quickly and looked at Hera. It bounced off Seraphine and scurried inside the mirror. Hera reached down and picked up the brass piss pot. In one sweeping motion, the brass pot shattered the mirror. Several pieces of shard flittered through the air, littering the floor. Hera heard a scream. He rushed out of Seraphine's room into the hallway to find Father Gore laying in pieces like broken glass. Hera bent down, picked up a piece with Father Gore's mouth. He felt the last of Father Gore's cold breath on his face. Headlights by Mark Slade Sean rose from his bed, feeling the dampness of sweat on his arms. He rubbed the middle of his forehead with two fingers and yawned. Outside his bedroom window, the sun was setting. In another three hours, he would make his way down Highway 20 to the warehouse and work another 12-hour shift, boxing up assorted chocolates and placing them on a pallet. Cora was in the other room, playing on the computer. He could see the light from the monitor flicker in the dark room across the hallway. He threw on a pair of jeans and a sweater, clumsily staggered to the other bedroom. He saw Cora staring intently at the screen, 
her large framed glasses sitting at the end of her nose. He waited by the doorway, decided not to disturb her. She had just got off work at the dry cleaners an hour before. He was sure she needed some time to unwind. Sean went into the kitchen, looked in the refrigerator, and grabbed a handful of ham and chucked a roll into his mouth. He reached for the gallon of milk, when some headlights coming down the lane caught his attention. It was blindingly bright, passing through the kitchen window. Sean squinted, raised his arm to block the light from his eyes. He went to the back door, opened it slightly, peeked out. No one was there. The headlights were gone. No car out in his driveway. He and Cora lived a good two miles from the next neighbor, so it was a big deal when someone drove up to his house. In the past year, only Cora's dad had visited and maybe Jones from work. Since all ties were broken with Sean's family, and it would take more than an episode of Oprah to sort it all out, chances of a visitor out of the blue was rare. Sean shrugged and closed the door. Strange, he said to himself. Maybe I'm still dreaming. He poured himself a glass of milk, took a long sip. Then he placed the glass on the table and went to the room where Cora was still watching YouTube on the computer. Sean leaned against the doorway. Hey, he said, his voice booming. It took a second before Cora realized he had said something. She removed the headphones from her tangled brown hair, smiled. You said something? Sean nodded. How was your day? Okay, didn't know you were up. Cora swirled around in her swivel chair. Been up a few minutes. Did you see the headlights coming down the lane? Sean rubbed the sleep out of his eyes. No, who's here? Cora folded her arms, stretched her neck to see out the window. That's the weird thing. Nobody is here. I saw the headlights almost blinded me. I poked my head out the back door. No car there. Sean shrugged, laughed. I bet you were dreaming or something. Cora stood. She walked up to Sean and kissed him. That's what I thought too, but I don't know. Cora patted him on the stomach. I'll go make you some eggs. How's that? Yeah, okay, Sean said. He stepped aside and let her past him. He followed her to the kitchen. Sean rose from his bed, feeling the dampness of sweat on his arms. He rubbed the middle of his forehead with two fingers and yawned. Outside his bedroom window, the sun was setting. He saw the headlights coming down the lane. He slid on a pair of jeans and a shirt. He ran through the hall and into the kitchen. He opened the back door and stepped out on the cold ground. Cora put the metro in park and turned off the engine. She quickly got out of the car, left the driver's door wide open. She was sobbing, trying to talk on her cell phone. She stumbled through the yard and walked through Sean and into the house. Sean heard her say, Dad, Sean, Sean was killed this morning, another car. Sean followed her in and became a memory. The City by Mark Slade The sun rose at 5.45 this morning and immediately burned its way through the sky. From my window, I had waited three hours to witness this event. Every night, it's the same. Hearing the screams of others in this city invades your dreams. Horrible, excruciating screams. And I never leave my room to find out why they are screaming. At night, you never leave your room for fear of being caught by those who own you. Every morning I walk these streets where the sidewalks melt after every step. 
I pass by those with half-eaten faces on their way to a job that doesn't exist or a school that never teaches. I watch those strip others of their skin and devour their souls. I pass by trees with burning limbs and blades of grass that burst into flames at will. With each step, the heat grows worse, unbearable. But I keep going. I see cars parked on top of each other, virtually destroyed. That house, moaning voices that call out for help. I see children playing in the street, poking a man with no arms and no legs. They look up at me, laughing, their eyes black as tar. I try not to let them know I am afraid. They can smell fear. I've reached my destination, just past the church, with the inverted cross bleeding. I stand at the gates of the city, listening to the voices of my loved ones calling for me. I try to go through those gates, but something will not let me pass, as if I were being held back by an invisible hand. I look up at the sign on the city gates, seeing the sun's yellow-red rays light up the words, Hell.